Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is a bonus episode for your weekend listening. This one veers into politics a bit because I bring on Sidious Mag contributor and my good friend Kevin Liao, who's wrapping up his time as Joe Biden's communications director in Nevada. So if you've had your politics fixed for a while, believe me, I know there's a lot of people who are exhausted after the whirlwind of Election Day and the couple of days that followed. It's okay to skip this episode and come back to it whenever you want. Obviously, I put my own political views out there on social media, and everyone's got their own. I'm the type of person who doesn't believe that sports and politics or activism are separate things, but I also understand that not everyone is that way. So listen to this episode if you want, and if you don't want to, that's okay too. There's going to be more conversations with athletes and coaches coming soon, so I'll catch you for those. All right, I've covered a bunch of track meets and races with Kevin, so in this episode, I kind of wanted to get a better understanding of the other side of his life, his life in politics, and especially what it was like working in the most important election ever. Every single time I heard that, they made it sound like it was a new episode of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, where they're teasing like the most dramatic season finale yet. So, in this episode, Kevin's going to share what his last two years have been like, not really doing much work for Sidious, and instead shifting his focus to try and get Elizabeth Warren and then Joe Biden elected. So I'm seeking a podcast sponsor for December and uh, for the first couple months of 2021. So if you're interested in supporting the show and getting the word out about your brand, product, or event, let me know. Contact me, chris at SidiousMag.com. If you're a listener and want to chip in, just Venmo at Sidious Mag if you like what you're hearing. Maybe I start doing that and thank you on the following episode. So that's that. Here is Kevin Liao. All right, now we welcome back Kevin Liao to the podcast. And you know what the best part about, you know, leading into this is that we're going to have that song that's been playing, the, you know, the Sidious Mag podcast theme song, which ended up in a Joe Biden campaign video for election day. And I, I loved seeing the video. The best part was that you kind of teased it for me a day before, cause you were in an internal meeting and they played it and it hadn't been out yet, but you told me it was like, look out for the next Biden campaign ad. You're going to really like it. When you were in that meeting and that song came on, what was your first reaction? Were you the only person like kind of laughing to yourself? <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm in our, you know, we have, we had like a socially distanced setup and, I'm just like in my head, you know, when I hear it, I, it obviously makes me think of your podcast, but then I was like, wait, what is this video? Cause I locked onto this all staff meeting with like, you know, thousands, maybe thousands of people on it. And this video starts playing and I've never seen it before. And it's people walking around this Biden Harris gear. I'm like, okay, where is this thing? So of course the first thing I do is text Chris Chavez. I'm like, Hey, we have a video with your song on it. And, and then I like spent, probably way too much time trying to find it on our social media didn't find it i was like where the hell is this thing turned out it was just a teaser for what was going to come out on election day and it was the video uh with that that famed song it was it was really good i think they filmed parts of it in like brooklyn and so i'm a little uh, and, and there were like runners involved in the video too so it's like I could have easily have been uh, in the video, but um, all right. So I want to dig into sort of what life has been like sort of on the election campaign trail, because for you, 
this is something that's, I don't know, taken what the last two, two and a half years of, of, of your life, just working on two big campaigns. First, it was uh, Elizabeth Warren's, and then you made the jump to Biden's in Nevada. Uh, so kind of, let's go even further back. Where does sort of like your involvement with politics begin? Yeah, I was the weird kid in like fourth grade who's watching CNN. So anyone you grew up, I grew up with, if you ask them what I'm doing now, they wouldn't be all that surprised. I was like on the city youth commission when I was in high school. I, you know, majored in poli sci in college. I was like doing internships in Sacramento and in DC. So it's always been something I've always loved. And it, it was always cool having running be like also like a parallel passion because it didn't feel like I was ever like 100% obsessed with both, right? It was like kind of splitting these two loves. And so I think they paralleled each other really well. You know, I think everyone talks about like the work ethic you develop from running. And I think that translates really well when, you know, you're waking up at, you know, working on this campaign, you're waking up at 6 a.m. every day and you're working till 11 p.m. midnight. Like that is the type of sort of focus and drive that, I think you learn a lot from high school and some college running that certainly applies into the world of politics. How far did you take running? You, you, you ran for a year in college? Yeah, I, w- I ran in high school and it was like, you know, like above mediocre in California. I'd say like I made the high school cross country uh, state meet, which was a big deal for me personally. And then uh, I ran for a year in college, like unattached and was, you know, fairly competitive. I like ran 15, 20 for 5k, which is like not great, but for someone not super talented, it was fairly good. And then got a lot of, got injured a bunch, like my second and third years of college, which is when I kind of pivoted into the running media side of things you know, was still like writing a blog, got involved with stuff with flow track. And so that kind of those injuries, which at the time really sucked, did help me kind of move into that track media lane. Yeah. Cause like when we first connected, it was probably 2000, late 2012, maybe early 2013. And when I was starting to get involved with flow track, because uh, funny enough, we were both back to back flow track summer interns where you went in 2012, you got to go to the Olympics, um, not as like a media member, but you were in the stands for it. And you'd also been to the, the Olympics four years before that. Right. Yeah, because uh, we have family in Beijing, so we were able to get some tickets. And I remember watching the Bekele 5K, which is like pretty legendary because you ran like 13 flat in the crazy Beijing humidity. I remember this was a funny moment. So, you know, we're just on the streets for the marathon, and I think Ritz was running by and I yelled at him. He actually like acknowledged me, which is kind of cool. Because, you know, there's like thousands of people on the streets, and there's probably not a lot of people specifically yelling at you know, an American guy. So he must have appreciated it. Did you see Bolt? I don't think I saw Bolt in 08. I did, I did see Bolt in 2012 when they broke the world record in the four by one, which I think that record has since been thrown out. Was one I think that might've been the one medal. Anyways. Yeah. That Nesta Carter tested positive And I think he had to get yeah, that one. I, back. Th- I think it was that one. Yeah. What's the coolest track event that you've been to? I mean, I, anyone who's been to Monaco says Monaco, and I can't really argue with it. Like, the time I went was when Evan Jaeger broke the American record for the first time. And it was really cool because that was like his first year of steepling. And 
I saw, I was there for the first steeple, competitive steeple he ever ran, which is at Mount Sac. And then I was there at Oxy when he like took that fall. And then I was there at the Olympic trials when he won the trials. And then I was there for him breaking the American record. So it was like, I just by off chance had physically been at each one of those races. So kind of seeing his progression along the way was super cool. And getting to interview him after that race, you know, in Monaco and the super like fancy town and very nice setup they have there was, was pretty awesome. Subsequently, you've also seen him win multiple, you've been to multiple U S championships. You've been to the 2016 Olympic trial. So it's like, you've seen him win at the top stage multiple times after that too. So it's kind of like you might be Evan Jigger's good luck charm. At least that first year. Yeah. We, we, we got off on the right track and you know, he's been doing his thing ever since. Where did politics go sort of as you're getting involved in the track media landscape? That's it seemed to be more of like a passion side project that that you had going. But career wise, you were always more focused on on politics, right? Yeah, I I kind of just felt like there was probably more opportunity out there in in politics. It was certainly where I felt more passionate about. Actually, someone once asked me like, why didn't you get into the journalism side of politics? And I think the answer is pretty simple. Like it's just hard to be objective when you care so strongly about one side of things. And so, yeah, at a certain point after I graduated, started working up in Sacramento, California at the state uh, assembly there and ended up being up there for five or six years uh, in various capacities, including working for the state assembly speaker, which, you know, being in Sacramento is a great track town. They're hosting USAs. They have, you know, I would argue the the best marathon in America uh, every year at the California International Marathon. Shout out to all of our CIM people. You know, just being there those couple of years when they hosted the U.S. Marathon Champs and just like the shit ton of people qualifying for the Olympic trials from that race. You know, it's a point-to-point course. It's slightly net downhill. And the weather just worked out so perfectly that first Sunday in, in, in December, those couple of years. And I remember you were out there, Chris, cheering on some friends who were trying to chase that OTQ. And they just did such a great job putting on that race. And the, the weather cooperated. And um, it, was, it was one of the cooler running moments, just seeing those flood of people getting under those standards coming through and just being so ecstatic. Yeah, and then that moment where you're looking at the clock from 2.44 all the way up until 2.59 and sort of like, I don't remember if people actually like start counting down, but like it's just, it's grueling. People are throwing themselves over the line on the, on the women's side. Like that, there was a, like a fall, I think, last year on, in like the very last chance to qualify uh, and a woman like crawled across the finish line. Um, and it's funny because like you, you mentioned how inspiring that race is for you to spectate and work sometimes. And in the past couple of years, like injuries have, have caught up to you. You haven't like, you've never run a marathon, right? Or like, what's, what's the extent of what you took your post-collegiate running to? Yeah, I have like a SI joint issue. So I, that really just like got to the point where it was really tough to run. So I never even ran like a half marathon. Um, I kind of, when I started working, maybe I just gave myself excuses to like not race as competitively, but it just got to a point where like, it wasn't fun anymore. And I'd been to so many different like PTs to try to fix the issue and it just didn't seem fixable. I even got like PRP shots that didn't really help. And so 
um, I was able to put that aside, but it was cool. Like back to CIM seeing so many of those people who were work, working full time, like I was, who didn't make as any, as many excuses as I did. And, you know, so many of them were just weekend warriors who were, you know, doing this while being parents, while working full time. And that's really what made it so cool as well. All right. So kind of take me through exactly what, the last, like, I guess four years have been like, what were you doing four years ago before, uh, I guess this election uh, cycle came along? Yeah. So I was working for the speaker of the California state assembly as his uh, press secretary. And so, you know, I think we were as shocked as anyone else when Trump got elected and everyone was like, holy shit, what do we, what do we do? And, um, for me, for us at that point with, you know, California being, so much at the forefront of like progressive politics was like, okay, what do we do to protect Californians from what we imagine a Trump administration will be? So that was, you know, a lot of the discussion for that first year or two. And then for me personally, I got to a point where I sort of hit a ceiling at the job I was at. And I was like, one, I always wanted to work on a presidential campaign. And I was at the right age where I was, you know, had enough experience to like compete for some of these jobs, but also was young enough to have the energy to put in those hours. Um, and, you know, certainly defeating Trump was, was a huge motivation. So kind of just like put out a lot of feelers, had a lot of coffees with people who had worked previously in national politics on presidential campaigns and was fortunate to, to land with the Elizabeth Warren campaign in Iowa. Yeah. So can you take me and kind of describe a little bit of like the demographics of sort of like that, the people that you work with and stuff, because kind of like it, it was recently I made an appearance on like this uh, other running podcast is the two black runners podcast. And I mentioned to them just kind of how like the diversity is an issue sort of like even in the, in the track and field media landscape, mm -hmm. where when we go to a mixed zone, like I don't see too many other people who look like me. And I guess like you and I are also minorities like in that track and field uh media landscape but what's it like i guess with the when, when you're on like a campaign yeah i mean i think certainly i'd say like on the democratic side it's it's a huge factor in in when we hire like in the job that i currently have on the biden campaign like it was hugely important for me to hire on my communications team like a, a diverse staff that reflected certainly the way that a state like Nevada looks, which is majority minority. Um, you know, we have two people Spanish speaking, um, someone else who's an immigrant from the Philippines. And so it, it, it's hugely important, right? If, if we're going to do the work of reaching out to the communities and, you know, talking to them in a culturally competent way, you do need to like have shared experiences, understand their culture, speak their language in some cases. And so, that's always been hugely important to, to me and to like virtually all the places that I've ever worked. And here's like a, an interesting thing that just came up in, in my head when you're sort of like interviewing and, and seeking out these jobs, right? You can, you can, you're probably applying to the campaigns for multiple candidates. And obviously you have your own personal views that might align more with, you know, X candidate, but you know, the job opportunity presents itself with candidate Y how do you sort of go about, you know, maybe it's not really brainwashing yourself into thinking that candidate Y is now all of a sudden like the best candidate because you're going to be working for them, but putting sort of your politics to match up a little bit with, with, with their agenda. How, how does, how does that work? 
Yeah, it's a little bit of a mix of both things. Like for me, it's like what's going to motivate me to wake up every day and put in the work and, and you know, really bust my ass and, and, and to do it. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's ideology, like, hey, I believe in everything they're saying. Sometimes it's like, hey, they have a personality that's really dynamic and who can, I think, be attractive to, you know, to people and help them get elected. Um, you know, but this cycle, certainly the motivation all along was like defeating Trump. And for me, that provided all that I needed. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, you work for Warren, who's much more progressive than Joe Biden is. But for me, it was like, you know, we need to win this election for the future of our democracy surviving. And, you know, that that was ultimately the motivation to like get get Biden elected. You know, he will do a whole host of positive things for our country that would not happen with Donald Trump uh, continuing to be in the White House. That, that was an easy decision. Yeah, because the, the immediate thought sort of when you make sort of like that, that jump from Warren to, to Biden, granted, there was a, a couple months in between in between the jobs. But it's sort of you have to remember that, oh, you know, man, it's like we took so many shots at Biden while we were campaigning so hard for for Warren in Iowa, but now all of a sudden, like, I have to forget that I did that, but, you know, obviously there's a ton of receipts probably that are out there, like, in the form of, like, tweets and that kind of stuff where people do end up taking a stand, and the same thing happened, sort of, I felt like when when Biden appointed, like, Kamala Harris as, like, his running mate, people all of a sudden was like, well, don't you remember all these bad things that she said about him? And I, the, I guess what did make it really easy for, for people like you it was just the fact that it, you all had this common goal of like, it's all about just winning this election. Yeah, I think we've, we've all said all along, whoever the nominee was, we, we would support. But I think personally, as like staff, at least for me, it was like important not to go bash other Democrats on Twitter so that people can't be looking back and saying, hey, you said this about so-and-so. Like, to me, yeah, the primary we were fighting about things that when you look back on it, where it might've been a little silly, but you know, I'm not someone who goes out and bashes people unnecessarily on Twitter because again, there are receipts and um, you know, it's important to continue to have good positive relationships, especially with people in your own party. So when you're working on the Liz Warren campaign, it was a different world. It felt like because it was pre pandemic and you actually got out to go to a bunch of different cities and towns in Iowa. Uh, ultimately, like, what were some of the highlights uh, from working uh, with her? Yeah, after the campaign ended, I went back and counted. Like, I had staffed more than 50 events that she was at. And, you know, I imagine most of the listeners have not seen Elizabeth Warren doing a town hall event. But she puts on such a performance. It, it starts with her life story. It goes into how it influences the way she thinks about public policy, about what the president should do. And it was just a very impressive performance that, you know, that's a big reason why you go campaign places and you have people come and see you, right? Is so that they can understand who you are as a person and what you want to do in office. And you know, I, I just can't speak highly enough about her and just the way her campaign was run. You got to see a lot of places that, you know, as someone who grew up in Northern California, you just, I've never been to, you know, uh, Dubuque, Iowa and things like that. And so just like understanding what different parts of the country are, uh, you know, what jobs that people rely on, just how 
how diverse our country is in, in so many ways um, was a really good, cool learning experience. And, um, you know, driving, a lot, uh, driving through snowstorms is something I was not accustomed to. And so, uh, you know, learning to do things like that was, was an interesting experience. But overall, you know, I was very different, certainly, but it was the seven months that I think professionally was, was incredibly valuable. I'm thinking of our friend Omar Musa, who's just picking things up from Colorado after flipping a seat in the Senate to go and do it, try and do it again in Georgia. How much preparation and like research do you sort of do before you pick up your things and move to a place like that where you're going to be relied upon to, you know, provide sort of like information and, and intel and, and kind of act like you know the area that you're in, but you're just kind of popping in for a short amount of time. There's certainly some research and like, you know, I, before I moved out here in Nevada, I bought a book um, by John Ralston, who's like kind of the foremost political reporter out here. So you can kind of learn like the media markets. That's, you know, a big thing in communications, but at the end of the day, like nothing beats like being on the ground and doing the work and learning firsthand that way. So, you know, I think every time uh, Omar is going to probably go through this in Georgia, like just everything's moving a million miles an hour and you just got to pick things up as quickly as you can. Um, did you ever try to get Elizabeth Warren to attend like the Drake Relays and kind of uh, make an appearance there? Well, so the Drake Relays were in the spring. So it was a bit before uh, I started with her. Not a bad the USA's? idea. USA, she was not in town those couple days. I, I, there's an iconic moment when Barack Obama showed up at Hayward Field at, I think it was like the Oregon Twilight or something. And he like was vi- with Vin Lanana. He like walked over hurdles, really cool. Um, but there was USA's when shortly after I moved to Iowa, there's actually a fun moment. So our like communications and digital team in Iowa, there were like four of us. We were all like high school runners. And so the Sunday of the USA is we all were like, Hey, it'd be a fun team thing to go to the track meet. So we go, we're sitting there and it was like that last day when it was like, it rained and it was kind of overcast and the track was kind of wet. And so it started raining during the meet. And so our comms director, shout out Jason Noble, who once ran a four by mile against Alan Webb. Um, so he goes and he's like, okay, I'm going to go buy a rain jacket. So he, in the middle of the meet goes to the apparel stand and, and goes to go buy a jacket. And while he's gone, the women's 400 hurdles happens. And that was the famous race where Delilah Muhammad breaks the world record. So Jason, break. <laughs> you, you missed, you missed the world record. Hopefully get another chance in your life to see one. But you know, fortunately for him, I guess a couple months later, she rebreaks it. So that period didn't last too long, but it's a good moment that we like to tease him about. Yeah, he got he got vindicated in the end, and you probably should have just sent him like the Sports Illustrated article that I wrote that got into so much detail. It's like, hey man, here's actually what you missed, um, because you mentioned like those people on your team are are, are runners. How often do you uh, you encounter fellow runners sort of like working? And I kind of obviously think that running is a stress reliever from work. It, similarly, like are people going out for runs is sort of like all right this is the one chance we don't have to really think about politics and polls and all this kind of stuff yeah i think just like in any other place of work there are you know people who are former runners who use it as you know a great stress relief um 
it's funny leading up to the election, my colleague in Arizona, uh, Jeff Bergen, he said his election day tradition is waking up at God awful early in the morning, going for a run. So we all have like different superstitions we have and that's his. And so it was kind of cool to hear that. What's the buzz right now? Did, did Kamala find out that she was, uh, that they won while on a run? Cause I feel like no one's gotten down. We've seen the clip, but ha- has anyone gotten the story behind the moment she found out? I don't, I, my understanding was she was on a walk with her husband, but uh, you know, on the trails in Delaware, I think someone, a Sidious uh, fan had, had tweeted that. So I actually haven't looked into it, but I had heard that somewhere that she was on a walk, but don't, don't quote me on that. It's Chris Chavez's 20,000 word story on Kamala's <laughs> walk in, in Delaware that led up to that moment. <laughs> All right. Transitioning from Liz Warren to, to Joe Biden, you got to Nevada. Did you realize, I guess, like when you took the job, just how big of a state Nevada was going to play uh, during the election? Yeah, I mean, we knew that Nevada's always a battleground state. It's always close. Hillary won by 2.4%. Uh, but, you know, there were other kind of national observers who kind of took it for granted that Nevada was going to be blue. You know, the state had elected a Democratic governor two years ago for the first time in two decades. And so I think there were a lot of people who didn't think we we're going to be as competitive, but we knew here that, you know, the pandemic really hit Nevada hard. I mean, with how much Las Vegas and the strip are relying on tourism, you know, we saw that at one point there was a 30% unemployment rate in the state that tourism was down, you know, 70%. And so we knew that was gonna be really hard to reach people when people are having a hard time when either they don't have a job, their kids aren't, aren't at school, so they have to navigate, you know, virtual learning. That it was gonna be really hard to reach people. And so, you know, we were always kind of sounding the alarm bell, like, hey, this is a competitive state. And, you know, so certainly aware of that coming into the job. So you never got a chance to meet Joe? He came to Vegas once, but there wasn't like a, just because of COVID, you know, like limited you know, personal interactions. So I did not get that chance. Dang. So how hard has that been for, for you? Just sort of like having to, because at first it felt like, man, Biden's going to be campaigning practically out of his home uh, and doing everything on Zoom. And early on, we see like some of these virtual town halls that he's hosting with like old people in like Florida, and they don't really know how to work Zoom either. And that like wasn't going so hot. Um, so it, it, it looked like it was going to be a challenging road ahead, but eventually, to some extent, things get relaxed. He's finally able to, to go out and do things. But for you and in, in, in your role, uh, how has the pandemic affected things? Yeah, it's certainly been different. I mean, normally we'd be having these big rallies and, you know, having surrogates come travel in person and campaign. And, you know, for a while we weren't doing that. So it was very much Zoom events and things like that. You know, I can certainly say that members of the media kind of got Zoom fatigue, just like we all have, and they were certainly less interested in covering events on Zoom. And so, you know, as things got better, as we were able to staff establish safety protocol that, you know, we did kind of resume some in-person activity, certainly with all those safety protocol in mind. And so I think what I was appreciative of was like, it was always based on science. It was always based on the health of staff and, and the candidate. And so... Certainly, like, I didn't expect to have a campaign where 
I virtually had no face-to-face interaction with my coworkers, which is just very weird. You're normally like hunkered down in an office together. And so, you know, a lot of time, just like everyone else spent on zoom calls and things like that. Um, so yeah, certainly a very, very different year. You did have like a bunch of celebrities come out to uh, Nevada to campaign who have been some of like the, the, the cool ones that you've gotten to, to rub shoulders with. Yeah, like we had Chelsea Handler out here, and then we had Sophia Bush, the actress who I rode around the bus with for a day, which is a very interesting experience. She's a lovely, lovely person, uh, super into politics, super like informed about stuff. And, you know, just, you know, I, this whole thing about, oh, they're just like us, but like she's like a pretty much regular person, was eating a salad from Trader Joe's. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a fun experience, and I made it on her Instagram. So, you did? I didn't see this. Come on. Yeah. This was my pinned tweet for like a month. <laughs> so. on, on, but not on your running account. I think I follow more of your running account than well, I do your, you know, your politics account. I'm a little bit more active on the politics one these days. So. Well, okay. So I did want to talk about that because so I, I've seen some spice in, in, in sort of like the, the tweets that you fire off from this politics account where it's like maybe like calling out some like fake news that, that is being like spun. Uh, and I'm like, man, we need this Kevin for, for track once he makes it back and like politics dissipates because, you know, I know in the past you've gotten in trouble a couple of times uh, with some track athletes for, for your tweets. But that's one thing I, I kind of want to request is that you bring that that political spice back to track. <laughs> yeah, I mean, David Melly has like usurped your place in the meantime. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. D- Melly's great, though. I mean, he, he deserves a lot of the, the credit. I, I would love to, I mean, you know, post this election, it kind of, I mean, we were talking back when the pandemic was hitting, I'm like, I know it sucks that the Olympic trials and everything's been delayed, but the upside is like, if it's 2021, I'll actually probably be able to go and, you know, be in Eugene and experience new Hayward and everything. And so I certainly, that is one part that I've missed of being like, so in, like just locked in with politics is like the engagement with the running community. I was certainly like still doing CIM stuff when I was in SAC, but not nearly being as quite as involved has been kind of a, a gap in, uh, in my life that I wish I can do more of. So that's, that's a, that's a goal. Certainly. Yeah. Well, you've been missed in our, in our Slack channel, you've been missed, uh, on the blog and, and on Twitter, but, um, so we're hoping to get you, get you back pretty soon and definitely, hopefully, you know, the, uh, the pandemic is under control a little bit better by the time uh, the trials roll around next year. So we can get you out there in the mix zone again. Um, I want to hear about election day. I'm curious if you start preparing for it like a week in advance, like knowing you're not going to get any sort of like sleep that day. And like maybe in the day to follow, are you like tailoring your sleep schedule or are you just like super stressed out? Like how do you approach it? Yeah. I mean, there's not much of a sleep schedule. It's just like you sleep when you can. Yeah. It was certainly a different type well, when of did, day. When, when, when does it start getting crazy? I mean, I argued the entire time I was, <laughs> I started with Biden right after the 4th of July and it pretty much the entire time was pretty crazy. And I don't think it changed. I mean, certainly like we had early voting start, like, three weeks before the election. So that was when it like really became real. But yeah, I don't think it was like all that different as we get closer. Um, election day itself is always weird. Cause like, you know, you're doing 
everything you can to get final, you know, press out to events and covering things. Um, I think it was different in the sense that like there was no election night party, right? You're not having tons of people get together. We did a, a more of like a press availability setup at an outdoor location. We had, you know, the governor and one of our senators come out. But one of the biggest differences too with just all this mail-in voting was that we were pretty sure we weren't going to have definitive sense of where it was. And so that night was just weird because you get some initial results, but then you're watching the other states and getting super stressed. And, you know, by 2 a.m., technically then on Wednesday, we had a final like dump of results from Nevada that had it super close. And so, you know, everyone's worried. People are texting me. It's like not all that fun. You know, we had a fairly good sense that the votes left account were good for us, but we couldn't like necessarily go out and say that publicly. And so it was a lot of just like holding in this like all this emotion while also not being sure what was going to happen all over the country. And so the next couple of days were super weird because they're starting to count more votes and they're good for us. But the, you know, AP and these networks aren't like doing their, hey, projection, Biden wins Nevada. So this is driving me crazy. And, you know, because we knew things were good for us and we knew where they were, they were probably going to keep trending towards us. And so it finally culminates on, on that November 7th, that Saturday. It happens to be my birthday. And that's the morning when everyone calls Pennsylvania and then shortly after they call Nevada and that puts Biden over the hump. And it was, yeah, it was pretty gratifying. And the wild thing is, like, it starts raining in Nevada, in Vegas, which is like a freaking desert. So, like, there were 200-plus days of no rain, and it starts raining. It kind of felt like a sign from above. <laughs> Not a particularly religious person, but it felt like something. So, so what, sort of, like, what did you make of all the Nevada memes that were coming out in those days? Because, you know, for me, I felt like I was watching, like, 500 hours worth of, like, the news coverage. And then I hop in the shower, and in those, you know, 10 minutes that I'm in the shower, uh, the election gets called for, for Biden. And I come out of the shower and people are, are cheering and hooting and hollering and banging on pots and pans. And so I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I missed the moment that they called it, but it was, you know, joyous celebrations out in the streets of Chicago. Um, but I think the funniest part was, is like, I think because Pennsylvania got called, then everyone else got the green light to, to just call the election for Biden. And maybe the follow-up tweet after that was like the AP finally calling it for Nevada. It came down to what, Clark County just counting votes like on their own patients? Like I didn't, like before this, I, I couldn't tell you anything about Clark County in, in Nevada. But now all of a sudden, like I'll be looking out for them four years from now. <laughs> yeah, everyone's now an expert on like, DeKalb County, Georgia, like literally never heard of this place before. Yeah, I mean, look, we had a lot of memes about Nevada. It's fine. Uh, I was texting with uh, fellow track nerd Kevin Sully at Flow Track, who is a Las Vegas native, very interested in what was going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, in some ways, you know, we were very stressed. Uh, but in some ways, like, you know, we've become the center of attention nationally. You have all these national reporters dropping in and calling you. So uh, it's not the worst thing to like create those relationships and stuff, but yeah, it was, it was just a strange few days because what we knew and what the world knew were very different things. And, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it was just patience. 
And the funniest part was, is like, I think I would text you and you would, you would tell me what, what was happening or, and some like behind the scenes stuff. And it's like in full confidence that I have literally no one to tell this to, yeah. uh, because it's like, who's going to believe like a politics scoop from, from the running guy out, out of nowhere. Yeah. But, but I did sound smart around, uh, the rest of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I made Chris Chavez seem cooler. <laughs> um, is it still like really it's tough because you can't gather in person but what's the celebration like yeah i mean you just like you know do things that are safe i like went to the beach for a couple days to detox which is nice um you know i'm gonna now that i'm back in vegas do some of the hikes go golfing just like the stuff that i haven't had time to do since i've been here so that's nice and just kind of like relishing the work we did i think it was gonna I think all of us are going to kind of look back on this experience and be like, yeah, that was, you know, the time we elected Biden and beat Trump and, you know, it's, it's a big deal. So I think there's, there's a lot to be proud of. It sounds draining. like a hundred percent to pick up your things and pull in a marmusa and, and go and, and, you know, do stuff in like Atlanta. Is there like any sort of like temptation or, or a hope to maybe do that? I am. No, I'm too <laughs> Like I, I, I really admire what Amar is doing. I, I just, I do not, I do not personally have the energy to, to do that. I, and I look, I, I told, you know, I have friends on both the Ossoff campaign now and, and Warnock. I was like, let me know how I can help. Just give me, give me a couple of weeks. Um, but happy to do whatever I can. I think, you know, those are obviously hugely important uh, races, but uh, I don't think I'll end up, well, maybe at the last couple of weeks, but I, I, what wasn't ready to jump straight in certainly so what do you hope you know people sort of take away from this election experience that took place over you know a month or two months or however long ago it's been since early voting opened up because i think the major thing that that i like seeing is just sort of that now people are just more motivated to just be active participants in sort of the country's democracy and you know somewhat hoping that these mail-in ballots and that kind of stuff like stays because it's made things like so much easier like it's no secret that people have gotten lazy over the years and so when you tell someone like all you have to do is like you know request a ballot fill it out and mail it back in like it's much easier than telling someone to go and stand on a line for however long it could be. Um, and so just the fact that you've made the people have made it sort of uh, the country's made it a little bit easier for people to participate um, is a good thing going forward. And, and hopefully more people seem to do that. But what, what do you hope? Yeah, certainly the like voter engagement that we saw um, not only people just casting a ballot, but like, a lot of people for the first time signing up to phone bank in Wisconsin, things like that. I think people need to remember that, you know, the presidency doesn't solve all of our problems. And if you want to continue to be engaged in the political process, find your local city council member and figure out, you know, if you're not happy with what they're doing, elect someone else, you can run yourself. Like I'm now at the point where I have several friends in elected office in California and it's really cool. Um, you know, get involved in, you know, your state races, your city races, your county races, like those are also avenues that are going to have a tremendous impact on your lives. And if you're not happy about the way things are going, not just in the white house, but 
every other level, like get involved, um, figure out, you know, your local political clubs and, and get involved that way. I think that will make a tremendous impact for many, many years to come. I don't know how it works. Like when, when you take a job like yours, elections over, is the job just done? Like, and, and now you can move on to, to the next thing or is there like a couple of weeks of like debriefing and that kind of stuff that you have to do? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, certainly, you know, from a press perspective, there's outlets who are writing like follow-up stories on the race. And so just working on those, but certainly it slows down quite a bit. And so just get to chill a little bit to like talk with, you know, my team about what they want to do next and how I can be helpful. And then also think about what I want to do next. That comes very much on a lower rung because I think I just need a bit of time to detox and to think about all that. All right, Kevin. Well, I want to thank you for um, telling Joe to use the CS Mag podcast song in his video. Um, and also, this is really interesting uh, for me to sort of like unpack and, and learn. Um, but I will ask sort of like the listeners because I know there's going to be a couple like negative reviews left about this one, but because we decided to, to steer into politics. But, you know, the line between sports and politics is, 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 has been over for a while. Yeah, I mean, we saw that over the summer, right? And a lot of the work you did with, you know, athletes who are speaking out about various issues happening in our country. Like, these are things that affect people in, in sports as much as we like to think LeBron James dribbles the ball, Noah Lyles runs 200 meters. Like, these are people, and they are impacted by all the things that government and levies on people. And so if... You know, I, I, I give a big shout out to the athletes who have used their voice. I mean, you know, on the, on the national level, like LeBron creating his voter education organization, I think did a huge difference to getting young people to vote. And we saw young people voting at higher numbers than ever. So, um, and I hope this conversation doesn't go away. Like Black Lives Matter, you know, when we finally get to the point when, whenever the Olympics are, I hope that athletes continue to use that voice and keep pushing progress on those issues definitely so heard it here we're not sticking to to just running i understand we lost you know i think it was a couple hundred uh instagram followers uh but all right kevin thanks so much for doing this that does it for this episode if you haven't already go back and listen to the interview that we put out with chris robertson the american record holder in the beer mile we dropped that podcast episode just a couple days ago uh, we've got a new episode of more than running with dana giordano where she interviews porsche dobson really recommend that one season two of that whole show is underway and once again go ahead and visit sidiousmag.com we've got plenty of stuff up there for you guys to enjoy lots of podcasts i just did the math and i've already edited and produced more than 150 hours worth of podcasts in 2020 alone so the grind does not stop I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. We're coming up on 200 episodes, so let me know who you want to hear on the show. Maybe we'll make 200 extra special just for all you guys. See you next week.